Looking this morning at Mark 10, I'm stalling a little bit. The sound guy said I had to let all the kids go back to their seats uh, for whatever it is they're doing back there. So now let's turn to Mark 10, and we'll be looking at Mark 10, 13 through 16 this morning. Uh, I've, been, I've paused, obviously, our uh, series through Daniel. Uh, as interesting as Daniel 5 is, I thought it would be good on this joyous occasion of Tiana's baptism Uh, to look at a passage in the Gospels where Jesus welcomes the children into his kingdom. So Mark 10, 13 through 16, if you are able, please stand uh, for the reading of God's word, not out of respect for the one who reads, but for the one who speaks. This is God's word to us this morning. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This ends the reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, as our Savior prayed for us, sanctify us in the truth. Your Word is truth. Show us Christ and His grace as we look to Your Word this morning. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, make us people who know You more fully and love You more deeply and follow You more closely. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the title for this morning's sermon is The King Welcomes the Kids. Uh, I ran a couple of other titles by my wife, Mariana. Uh, The teacher welcomes the toddlers. The rabbi welcomes the rugrats. That was my personal favorite. Uh, But I went with her recommendation, which is usually a good thing to do, men. So I want to make the case today from Mark 10, which we've just read, uh, as, as well as some supporting passages, that Uh, King Jesus welcomes kids into his kingdom uh, from the earliest age uh, because that's exactly where the kids belong. They belong in the kingdom. Uh, Even little infants are welcomed by Jesus into his kingdom. And more than that, it's only those who receive the kingdom like a little kid that can enter it at all. Uh, It's certainly my hope that as we hear these truths uh, about the place of kids in the kingdom and as we observe over the years, Lord willing, little infants being baptized here, uh, that we would grow to cherish not just something that's beautiful and cute, uh, but biblical and right. Uh, in Mark 10, 13 through 16, it isn't about baptism per se, but I think there's a lot to learn in this story about the king who welcomes the kids to his kingdom. We see that even kids, even little babies, have a rightful place as members of the covenant people. It belongs to them by birth. It's, as one writer put it, their ancient birthright. They belong here with all that membership in the church provides and entails. Uh, So if kids belong in the kingdom from the earliest age, that bears on why we believe they're entitled to baptism. Uh, But rest assured, this is not going to be a lecture about baptism. you know, infant baptism and theology. I don't think a sermon should ever just be a lecture about doctrine because lectures don't cut to the heart and lead us like the first Christian sermon did to ask brothers, what must we do to be saved? Uh, So we're going to look at not just this doctrine about where kids belong in the church, but discipleship, 
things that we learn about discipleship in Mark 10, particularly as we consider what Jesus meant when he said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does that mean? It's important to know because you can't receive the kingdom of God unless you come to Jesus like this. So we'll look at how that shapes our coming to Jesus and our following Jesus. So that's the big idea this morning. Kids are welcome in the kingdom. And those who come to the king like kids are welcome in the kingdom. We'll unpack that idea by tracking along with Mark's account here uh, under three headings. Three headings are the impulse to bring babies to Jesus, the indignation of Jesus towards his disciples, and the instruction Jesus gives about receiving the kingdom. So beginning then with that first point, uh, the impulse to bring babies to Jesus. We read in Mark 10.13, look there with me, Mark 10.13, beginning of the verse, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Uh, This account is recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, In Matthew and Mark, the word used is children, generally, uh, broadly speaking, just children. Uh, Luke, however, uses another word. He uses a word that means unborn children or infants. Unborn children or infants. So we can imagine this throng of littles, tiny tots, rugrats, being brought to Jesus, being brought to this rabbi who wasn't like any other rabbi. He was teaching as one with authority. Uh, He was a teacher who came and declared that the kingdom of God is coming and is now here. He was one who healed the sick, who raised the dead. He gave little girls back to their fathers after death. He healed and he multiplied the bread and the loaves and the fish, and he fed multitudes in a miraculous way. This was no mere rabbi, and these parents knew it. Uh, His opponents knew it. They opposed Jesus at every turn, uh, wanting him dead, trying to stop his ministry. These Jewish parents... uh, and we know their parents, it's not just the mothers bringing their little kids to Jesus, it's mothers and fathers and maybe other guardians, because the pronoun here used to refer to the ones the disciples rebuke is masculine plural, which means it's a mixed crowd. If it wasn't just the fathers, it could have been just a long line of fathers bringing their kids to Jesus. We don't know. I just point that out because I think it's worth mentioning. But these are parents bringing their children to Jesus. There's something about Jesus that's just so compelling. Jewish parents bringing their children, even their infants, because physician Luke is all about detail, right? So he says, even infants are brought to Jesus. So what's going on here? Why are they doing this? Why this impulse to bring the babies to Jesus? Is this sort of like when you go to an event and you try to get close up to the rails uh, and you have your child because you're hoping that maybe this celebrity, maybe a politician, maybe the Pope or something will take notice and come over and pat your little baby on the head. Maybe you take a photo for social media. Is, is that what's happening here? Is Jesus just a really famous person? They want to get his autograph, see if they'll sign their baby's diaper or something. No, it's, I don't think it's that at all. I think it's actually something more than that. Something far more beautiful than that. I think it's because the children belonged in the kingdom all along. Jesus loves little kids. There's no doubt about that. Uh, A friend of mine who's a pastor, uh, RUF pastor in California at UC Irvine, uh, he found this great line from an old Dutch theologian. It was recently republished in English. He says, one of the reasons, the several reasons Van Maastricht gives for Christ uh, being willing to be born as a child is that he might make known his love toward infants. In other words, my friend Derek says, the eternal son became a baby partly because he just loves babies and wanted you to know that. 
I think that's great. But there's more here than just this tender affection and this uh, meeting of Jesus with the children because it would be cute or sweet for the kids to meet Jesus. Matthew tells us when he records the story in Matthew 19, then children were brought to him for what purpose? That he might lay his hands on them and pray. So why this impulse to bring the babies to Jesus? Why would these parents expect this rabbi, this teacher, to lay his hands on their kids and babies and pray over them? Well, I think the answer is the babies always belong. They were always part of God's people. Always were. Let's look at that for just a moment. Uh, Kids and parents, be encouraged as you see this. Be encouraged with the place of kids in the people of God. And parents, be encouraged with the heart of God for your kids. In Genesis 17, going back to the beginning of the story, uh, God seals His covenant that He made with Abraham. All of the males in the household are circumcised. Uh, This served as a sign and a seal of that covenant, that gracious covenant God made with Abraham. The sign was specific to males uh, for fairly obvious reasons due to the nature of the sign, but we know from the start that God's covenant people included everyone, the adults and the children. Genesis 17.7, God says that I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, all of them, boys and girls, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now Abraham received the sign of circumcision on the basis of the faith that he already had. Paul makes that very clear in Romans 4. The sign which he received was on the basis of the faith that he had before he was circumcised. But all of the rest of the males in the household received the sign irrespective of their faith because they're part of Abraham's household. Even before they could express faith in God, they received this sign of God's gracious covenant. So, from the get-go, God's promises to be God to Abraham and to his offspring, and even to those who hadn't expressed their faith, uh, that's part of the deal. God is a God to Abraham and to his offspring. God later appears to Isaac, to Jacob. And what does he do? You probably remember in the story, he says, I'm the God of your father. Right? He appears to the sons because this is ordinarily how it works. God saves men and women who don't know him uh, more and more throughout the ages and around the world. And then he works through families as a main way to grow his kingdom and to bring people in. He continues building his people through the family. That should be a huge encouragement, kids. When you sit around, you look around, you think, sometimes I don't understand what's going on. Sometimes these prayers are too long. Sometimes I have to sit on my bottom too long. Do I really belong here? And the answer is, yes, you do. The kingdom belongs to the kids. It's always belonged to the kids. You can believe in Jesus and praise Him for His love, putting you in a place where Week after week, you're surrounded by other people who know and follow Jesus and can teach you about Jesus and help you to follow Jesus. That's his love to you, welcoming you into his kingdom from the earliest days of your life. Parents, you wonder, what hope do I have for my kids? You're doing your best to raise them, and you're not sure you're always doing it right. And you wonder, what hope do I have for my kids? Maybe this question is even more poignant when you have kids who seem to have walked away. What hope do I have for my kids? We have all the hope in the world because God has promised to be a God to his people and to their children. Ordinarily, he works through families. We know it's not always the case, but that is God's uh, 
His MO, so to speak. That is the way He works predominantly through families. He causes kids to grow up and reflect in their heart the spiritual reality of the sign that they received as infants. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, this is one of the oldest promises to look forward uh, to this new covenant, the covenant under which we live now. We read, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. There's good news there, parents. As a rule, God works through families to build His kingdom. That's why family worship uh, and instructing your kids in the ways of God is so important. Deuteronomy 6 talks about this. uh, Teaching all that the Lord has commanded to these adults uh, to the children to follow and obey too. When you sit at your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, the family is to be filled with talk about God and His ways. Uh, Sitting around the house, walking or driving to the grocery store or to dance class or to a sporting event, talk about God. Talk about Jesus. When you're sitting around the table at breakfast, as hectic as it can be, pray and remember God. First thing. I don't always do this well. Uh, Sometimes family worship doesn't look like the ideal. Uh, When we sit down and try to read a book together, and I have a two-year-old today, actually, turning two, who's climbing on my head and trying to read Lama Lama or poking toys in my eyeballs, and you're just trying to talk about Jesus here. I'm sure some of you can relate. I've always been encouraged by a French theologian who said the main thing with family worship is to let God, let not God be forgotten under your roof. That's the main thing. However you can do it, however chaotic it might be, that God not be forgotten under the roof, it means you're doing something right. So be encouraged when you can't make it look like you think it should look. Uh, But when you're looking to God together as a family, I think this is why the parents had the impulse to bring their kids to Jesus. Why wouldn't they? They had always been a part of God's people. They had always been instructed in the ways of God. They had always received the promises of God to their parents and to them. God loves the kids so much, in fact. Uh, This is sobering. Uh, When the people of Israel, the Old Testament, they start wandering after other gods, and at one point it gets so bad, they start sacrificing their children to false gods. God says, And you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured, whom you had borne to me. God is saying, how dare you sacrifice my kids? These are my kids. Those are sobering and encouraging words. You kids, you're God's kids. Christian, your kids are your kids, and you raise them, but they're God's kids. There's no baptism in this passage, but we wouldn't expect there to be. The cross and the empty tomb haven't happened yet. The Old Covenant is still in effect. In some ways, we're still in the Old Testament in this story. The New Covenant hasn't been inaugurated through the work of Christ. But if this is the Messiah, the one that has been promised, the one we've looked to all along, and He's now here, and He's proving that He is God in the flesh by the works that He does and the things that He says, uh, this man should want to see and pray over our kids, right? Kids are part of the people he came to rescue too, aren't they? I think that's exactly what the parents believed. And we find a clear answer from Jesus on that point and what happens next. That takes us to our second point. Uh, We looked at the impulse to bring kids to Jesus, and we say it's because parents knew the babies belonged all along. But look with me now at the rest of verse 13. Uh, 
we see the indignation of Jesus towards his disciples. The parents are bringing their babies and children to Jesus. Back to verse 13. The disciples rebuked them. What's that about? Why would you stop the kids from seeing Jesus? Maybe the disciples are worried about Jesus getting mobbed by a throng of little kids crawling all over him. Maybe they thought it would be disrespectful. Maybe they thought Jesus would get worn out. It's kind of like I reminded my daughter Sophia this week, contrary to popular opinion, I am not a jungle gym. (laughs) Right? What's going on here? Maybe they felt like it disrespected Jesus. Maybe they thought he was too busy. Uh, I like Leon Morris's suggestion. He says, they may have thought that the children were too insignificant for the master's notice, for it is a fact that that few of the world's great religious teachers have been greatly concerned with children. Jesus is different. I think that's pretty spot on because the disciples, we learn, are having an attitude problem that needs adjusted. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But in his final instruction to the disciples, he's correcting this misunderstanding that they have about coming to Jesus and receiving, receiving the kingdom. Uh, so Jesus' indignation at the disciples and what he says to them about kids confirms this impulse that it was right, that it was biblical. The kids belong. We read in verse 14, Jesus says, when they saw it, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. If the kingdom belongs to such as these, then these kids qualify as members of the kingdom. Jesus is essentially saying nothing has changed in that regard. He confirms this expectation on the part of the parents that Jesus would welcome their kids and bless them. Sure, they must grow up to express the faith and to follow Him just like kids had always grown up and learned to live out the covenant into which they had been welcomed from birth. But just as it has always been, the kingdom is for the kids. The rest of the New Testament follows suit, actually. It reflects what Jesus says. At the end of Peter's Pentecost sermon, first Christian sermon, he calls for repentance and baptism. And we read in verse 39, For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And to that Jewish audience, hearing the gospel proclaimed on that, in that first Christian sermon at Pentecost, that's a formula they would not miss. The promise is for you and your children. God has always been a to you and to your children God. That's what they heard. In Paul's instructions to the church at Ephesus, kids, just like you kids here today, uh, when this letter would have been read to the church, they're assumed to be included, and it's assumed that they need to listen to what God has said. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 1-4, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. A word to parents, especially fathers. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's a reference to Deuteronomy 6. Talk about God when you're sitting in your house, when you lie down and when you rise up. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this all tracks with what Jesus ultimately says. Look at verse 16. Mark 10, 16, he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So the king welcomes the kids because the kingdom is for the kids. Uh, It always has been. It always will be. Uh, To quote probably the best nutshell argument ever made for including infants in God's people, uh, I'll quote what B.B. Warfield said in his nutshell argument. The argument in a nutshell is simply this. God established his church in the days of Abraham and he put children into it. 
They must remain there until he puts them out. He has nowhere put them out. They are still then members of his church and as such entitled to its ordinance. So we've seen the impulse to bring kids to Jesus. We've seen Jesus' indignation at the disciples preventing the kids from coming to Jesus. It confirms this impulse. But there's a final point, and this really gets to the heart of discipleship. This gets to something we all need to hear. The instruction Jesus gives about receiving the kingdom. Look with me at Mark 10, 15. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. See, Jesus not only confirms that kids have a place in the kingdom, he says if anyone wants to receive the kingdom, you have to become like a little child. You have to do it like a kid. You don't have to grow up to belong. Grown-ups have to become more like kids to belong. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean we just have to be like sweet and innocent like a little child. If you parents know that that's just not a reality, right? Uh, Psalm 51.5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. If you've ever met a child and spent very much time with them at all, you know uh, from experience that what David writes is true. Uh, but what Jesus is getting at here, he's, he's setting up a model for discipleship. The kids are welcome. The kids are members of the kingdom, but they're models for discipleship. Uh, this is exactly what the disciples have backwards, and Jesus is finally instructing them, rearranging their mental furniture to understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom. They think it's all about getting the corner office in the kingdom. They're arrogant. They're proud. They have it all worked out. Jesus is clarifying here to his disciples that it's not about that. Uh, earlier in Mark 9, 33 and following, we read this. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Busted. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then notice what Jesus does. And he took a child, and he put the child in the midst of them. He took it in his arms, and he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but he who sent me. Just a little later uh, in Mark, James and John, they come to Jesus and they play that game. Parents, you know the game really well. Hey, mom and dad, just say yes. Yes to what? No, 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 don't worry about it. Just say yes. Jesus says, what's the question, guys? And they say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one on your left in your glory. A bold move, and the rest of the disciples aren't very happy about it. And Jesus says, you still don't get it. Give it up. He explains that the way he's going to achieve this ransom, this salvation that he's come proclaiming, is by laying down all his rights and becoming the servant of all, even to the point of death. He's going to become a servant and slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And Jesus is telling them, it's not about glory, guys. It's not about glory. Jesus came to serve those who can't serve themselves. Those who can't save themselves. So when Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He's saying, give up the glory program that you've imagined for yourself in my kingdom. That's not the way it works. 
If you want to receive the kingdom, you have to come recognizing who you truly are. The disciples want to make being a part of Jesus' kingdom a matter of significance and honor. They want to be part of the who's who. They're clamoring for status in the kingdom, and Jesus says no. And we're not so different than the disciples. We would much prefer to climb a ladder and reach God and be the first to the top of the ladder at that than to be sitting on the floor helpless and needy and serving a God who has to come down and pick us up. See how we have it backwards? Jesus says you can't climb a ladder. You need a life raft. And he takes a kid and he stands in the middle of these proud disciples and he says, look at this kid. If you want to know what the kingdom is all about, the kingdom is all about this. He isn't a king who has come for the greatest and the best and the brightest and the noblest and the most obedient. He's come to be on the side of kids, you could say, at least in one important way. People have to realize they have more in common with the kids to enter the kingdom. Uh, The Reformation Study Bible puts it like this, and I think it's a crucial observation to make. This is the point, okay? By identifying himself, Jesus, and the Father who sent him with infants and toddlers who are weak and needy rather than powerful and productive, Jesus encounters, Jesus counters the inclination to assign people's value according to their usefulness. In other words, uh, you need to stop seeing the kingdom as a place uh, for your pride. It's not a place for your power. It's not a place for prestige. It's nothing like that. The king uh, and his kingdom are for the weak and the needy and the helpless and the lost. And for those who recognize that that's who they are without Jesus. Uh, People who have no rights. In Roman society, a kid had no rights. May as well not even be human. We go into the horrors that that would entail. But the kid had no rights. In Jewish society, even though they were welcome into the covenant, they were considered a pretty insignificant member of society. They can't do anything to help themselves. Uh, They do a pretty bad job of looking after themselves. Parents, you know this. Uh, They can't clothe themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't bathe themselves. This is why receiving a little child into membership, like we're going to see in a moment, it's a beautiful picture of grace and of the gospel. Uh, When they're too little to even toddle up here to the front to receive the waters of baptism. It's a picture of grace. I know Tiana can run because I've seen her run. Uh, I know her mom and dad know she's a sinner. I'm not going to say I've seen that, but they know it. So why is she here? She can't make it in the world without her parents. She can't make it in the world without Jesus. Jesus comes and puts his name on her as she receives the waters of baptism. In Mark, you may have noticed when the, the, the parents bring the kids to Jesus and say, we wanted, them, we wanted Jesus to touch our kids. Uh, Matthew puts it, you know, pray over them and bless them, but Mark says, touch them. In Mark, what Jesus touches, he changes. It's a theme throughout the Gospel of Mark. He can touch a blind, mute man and make him sing praise and see for the first time. He can touch a dying daughter and make her live again. Uh, he can touch and bless the children, putting God's name on them blessing them, praying over them, not because of their faith, but because these parents have brought their kids to Jesus and they believe that he is who he said he was. And they ask Jesus to touch their kids. What he touches, he changes. None of us can live forever without the touch of Jesus. That's what we need. It's only by recognizing that we can't reach out to him and he has to reach down to us. That's when we get it. That's when we're changed. So stop trying to reach up. Stop thinking that the kingdom is about that. The kingdom is for the kids and those who come to Jesus like kids. 
It's the grace of the King to the weak and the needy, the helpless, the hopeless. People can't do anything for themselves. Uh, the promises that God uh, pictures in baptism are the promises that we pray uh, that these little kids will grow up always knowing and believing. And they're the same promises that we have to cling to, knowing that Jesus is our only hope. So the kingdom is for the kids, and it's for all of you who will be willing to come to Christ, not because you're great, but because you recognize like a little kid, you need Jesus. You can't do anything for yourself. Let's pray together. Father, let the little children come. All of us, every last one of us, make us come like little children in need of your touch. Because without it, there's no hope for us. Let us never stand in the way of those you welcome into the blessings of your kingdom because we think it's for those who have it together, for those who measure up. Remind us daily that the kingdom is for the kids and for those who come to Jesus like kids with a daily desperate need for him. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.